This is the Productive Ministry Podcast. I'm Tim Jenkins. I'm the producer of this podcast, and I'll be hosting this week. Rocky's taking the week off to work on other interviews that you'll be seeing in the next couple of weeks. Today, we're going to be bringing you something special. Often when we're interviewing people, there's a lot more content than we can feature in the episode. Today, we're going to bring you pieces of three episodes. This first clip comes from episode six with Ted Smith, titled Cultivating Leaders. This is an interesting story he told about a student who came to the Institute and some tough choices he had to make. We think you're really going to enjoy it. Here it is. But sometimes the best thing you can do for somebody you're developing is let them fail. Now, we don't want to let them fail in a sense where it's going to damage, you know, the church and it's going to damage people. But I'll just give you one example of of a guy that I was developing some years ago in a school setting. And he uh, was a guy from the neighborhood. He he had a history. He didn't have a lot of academic history. He had some abuse in his family. He was just a guy that was really fragile uh, and struggling, but he wanted to go to school. He wanted, he felt like he had a calling. He wanted to be trained and he came to class. Um, and, uh, he came to class. He sat through the whole class. He did the work the best he could. And at the end of the day, when the class was over, uh, the grade that he earned was not a passing grade. Mm-hmm. And I had to really look at that and, and ask myself the question, do I have the courage to give this very fragile person an F Wow. And tell them that they didn't make it. And I decided that I needed the best thing I could do for that person was to fail them. And so I sat that I didn't do it in an email or a text. I sat them down in my study. I had all of their work in front of me. I said, unfortunately, brother, you didn't make you didn't earn the grade that you need to earn a, a passing grade in the class. Here's, you know, five things that you could do. Uh, if you want to retake, uh, if you want to go into the next class, or because we have modular classes, so they're not right. prerequisites. You don't have to pass this one to take the next one. I said, if you want to come to the next class, I'd still love to have you. And lo and behold, the guy shows up, and he, take, hmm. and he takes his second eight-week class with me, and he gets down to the wire, and he fails again. And wow. if I had been this guy, I would have split. I would have hung my head and I would have split. I, but I sat him down and I and I called his pastor because his pastor was his reference. I said, Pastor, you need to know what's going on. Here's what's happening with the student. And I went through the whole thing again. Okay, brother, you didn't earn the grade that you needed to pass the class. But here's all your work. Here's some things you can do to improve. I'm confident that you can do this. I know that you can do it based on this, this, and this, on these projects that you've done. You can do this. I'm here for you. How can I mentor you? How can I resource you? How can I coach you? I've talked to your pastors. We're behind you. We love you. We know we can do it. He left my office. I didn't think I'd ever see him again. And he came for the third class, and he got a C-. minus. Oh. And I and, and I rejoiced, man. Thank the Lord for a C minus. I I celebrated, man. And yeah. and he graduated last December. And so oh, wow. you know, he went through the whole program. And I and you know, man, a lot of people in that place would have just passed him. Well, bless his heart, he tried so hard. Let me just go ahead and no, no, we're not gonna teach anybody anything by doing that. Our next clip comes from episode seven, which was on racism. 
We interviewed Kingston and Crystal Arthur, and some of the interview had to be edited down. So we wanted to present a portion of that interview unedited, and that is what you're about to hear. Well, I mean, let's let's go back to the gospel uh, here for a second. Um, you know, you talk about on Sunday morning, your goal is, you know, you're not you're not going out of your way to be something that you're not. Right. You're not you're not having like these, you know, strategic planning meetings or, or whatever. You are you are just purely saying that when Sunday morning comes, um, the only thing that matters is Christ. Right. And and being able to to welcome anyone who will come into your church to present the gospel. Um, and like this, the gospel becomes like this great uh unifier or great equalizer is yeah. that right yeah no you're right yeah so, yeah it, it, so um what is that you know when you're when you're when you're teaching the gospel and you're you're trying to lead you know part of that whole process is is this process of of repentance and and all of all of that stuff how how well has that gone in your community have you seen like effective change or um because of that or are you still like being hopeful or i think i think it i, I think it has i i mean i like i said we've uh nobody in our congregation is as i would say i, I don't think anybody in our congregation is racist um i i can say that pretty confidently because crystal is treated very well my my children are treated very well nobody's looked at them cross um you know it, it we've we've all felt very loved um but i think it goes back to what crystal was saying earlier just about that that level of ignorance there um that little level of unawareness and 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 i think that the gospel is making people more aware um there's a you know there's there's a lady at our congregation that uh very very tender hearted woman um, you know, she, she loves on us. Uh, she loves on our kids. Um, just a very nice lady. And she shared, she's sharing with me stories about, uh, you know, about, uh, doing things that, that are pretty risky. You know, she's talking about picking people up on, on the, on the side of the road and giving them rides and, and ministering to them. And she doesn't tell me they're black. Um, she did, but I, you know, I'm quite confident that they are. Cause I see, I see the people that are walking on the side of the road that, that need help with rides. And, and most of the time, Aaron Ferguson, that's, that's a black individual. And so she's, she's being compelled to do things like that. Um, and, and, uh, and I, I work with a, a young adult ministry here at the church. We have our own Bible studies and things like that. And their, their hearts, I think are being moved, uh, more in that direction. And, and, you know, we've had a couple guys that I've reached out to that have kind of become a part of our small group, um, that are, that are African-American fellows. And, uh, and, and, and I think that it's starting to move their hearts in that direction as well. So I, it's kind of a, a slow process, but, uh, but again, I just think that the gospel is the most genuine and authentic way to, to change hearts. Um, the only real way to change hearts. And that's what, that's what needs to happen is there needs to be a heart change all around. Um, so just a, right. a, a compelling of the advancement of the gospel in our community. And at the same time, I think there are some, um, right. some ministers who believe that, um, it totally stops there that um that there's no other the church isn't called to do anything more than speak the gospel and i think that i think the gospel um when like you were saying when it goes from head to heart to hand i think that hand element is um remembering that we're we were placed here to to glorify god and glorifying god it's reflecting his character and he's like, he's a God of justice. 
and a God of reconciliation and a God of love. And when you have so much of the nation saying we don't feel loved and, and you proclaim to um, be a Christ follower and, and you're striving to be Christ-like, you, you, you meet them where they are and you love them. You, you find a way to communicate love to them. And I think right now that is showing sympathy and reaching out and, and saying your grievance is real. And the only thing that's going to, right. and Christ is the answer, you know, and, right. and, and, um, and, and there are some, and I, we don't, we also don't want to say that everyone who feels racial tension um, or everyone in the Black Lives Matter movement, that they don't have Christ. But I think it's, that's, that's edifying the body and saying, remember that Christ is our ultimate answer. And, and ultimately, we're not going to have justice on this side and we're not going to have peace on this side. But right. we can look to heaven and look to him and we can exude that ourselves. And that's, you know, and, and find comfort in, in, in that. Yeah. And that, that goes back, uh, if I can interject here, um, that, that goes back to what you were saying earlier, uh, Rocky, about uh, um, about the, should the church be multi multi ethnic, um, and uh, and it, it's just it's so frustrating for me that it's not because um, the, the, there is the, we've already determined okay there is a racial there is a racial issue in our nation um, that it should be uh, the the church should be uh, the the strongest voice in racial racial reconciliation that should be what is driving racial reconciliation um but uh what what ground what 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 foothold do we have to do that whenever 10:30 on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours in our nation um you know so the mm-hmm. the, the non-christians are looking to us and they're th- you know really you you have something to say about racial reconciliation you do Mr and Mrs Christian you know you you and your all white church or you and your all black church, you have something to say to me about racial reconciliation. And it just, it, it, it doesn't work unless we are multi-ethnical. It doesn't work, work unless we, right. unless we do treat uh, each other as brothers and sisters, regardless of our race. And unless we are working together for the advancement of the kingdom, because outsiders see us as separate, because that's exactly what we are to, to a right. great degree. Um, and, right. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by like everything that you guys are saying. There's so, much quality stuff in your words. And one of the things that popped in my mind, uh, especially as just Crystal was was talking, uh, I was thinking about the fact that a lot of times people feel like they have to understand an issue uh, in order to, to, to speak into it or to, uh, to minister into it. Right. So I think that there's, there tends to be, there's some difficulty when you're saying, Oh, well, race is an issue in the United States. Um, and and white people are like, well, I don't understand why I'm responsible to this. Um, and as a pastor, I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting in my church and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe you don't understand the race issue, but can you see that there's an entire segment of our of our population who are brothers and sisters in Christ um, who are hurting? Is it enough that real or unreal that this these our brothers and sisters here? Our community here is an obvious pain. Like, shouldn't we speak into that as the church? Yeah. You want to share your story maybe about uh, about that lady lady reaching out to you? I think it was after Philandro Castile was killed. Um, 
after Philando Castile was killed, um, a woman reached out to me over Facebook and I, we weren't, we weren't friends. We were Facebook friends, but I had, I don't think I'd met her face to face before. And, um, I wish I could, I should pull up the message, but she just reached out, um, asking how I was handling things. Um, how, how were things impacting me? Um, how, how, you know, of course I'd seen the news and just what, how could she be praying for me? And it just really touched me because this was a white woman. And, um, and as I said earlier, I have, um, a lot of white friends and I don't, I think she was the only person that to that point, up to that point had been, um, intentional about reaching out and just saying, Hey, it goes without saying that this is impacting you. Um, you weren't related to him. You didn't know him personally, but you're probably mourning and you're probably feeling um, a level of fear and, and stress about this. Um, the only other person I had spoken that intimately with was um, one of my good friends um, who is black. And she was saying that she didn't want to go to work that day because she knew that people were going to be talking about um, the breakup of Angelina Jolie and, and Brad Pitt. They weren't going to be speaking. They weren't going to be showing her sympathy right. or asking how she was or, or just taking it seriously at all. Um, but it, even though, and I asked her what prompted her to reach out to me because we weren't, we, we weren't um, close friends or anything. And she said that a minister at her church um, was encouraging people, uh, um, white congregants to reach out to people that they knew through Facebook um, or in their, in their workplace that were black. And just so for, for both parties um, to show love and compassion and sympathy um, and to also have um, an ear and to, to have he- ears to hear what, how it's really impacting the black community. Um, because in her, in her world, in her circles, she would, she would never have, um, interacted with that. She wouldn't have had um, an inside view into um, the heart of the the, the black culture at, um, in that time. So it really it really touched me. Um, and she brought me to tears, honestly. Um, and I I was just very thankful for that. And I think that's what I think that's part of what it's going to take is for people to go out. I'm sure that was outside of her comfort zone. Um, to step outside their comfort zone, both white people and black people, and to open up lines of communication um, because it's very hard to sympathize or to understand um, a perspective or, or, or to understand a perspective that you don't have. You need somebody who has that different perspective right. to tell you this is what it looks like, this is what it feels like. And, um, and I think that's just a really great way to show love as well. Finally, we have a clip from last week's episode wherein Rocky and I talked about joy. This is a story I told that we got cut initially, but Rocky wanted you guys to hear it. So for your listening pleasure, here you are. Why did you go into ministry, Tim? Like what was, I know that you talked about being at uh, college and studying all those other things and realizing that you had a moment where you don't want to do marketing, but I mean, what what was it really in your heart that, that pushed you in that direction? Um, I mean, as time has gone on, it, that decision 
feels fuzzier than it did in the moment, to be completely honest, which it may be for a lot of people. I will say that my trajectory was as such. I was very involved as a student in my student ministry at my church. I I was very involved in the student ministry at my high school, my uh, public high school attended. I was uh, president of the FCA organization there. I felt... um, you know, like I had been doing a lot of the kind of, you know, student leadership that is available to somebody growing up in the late 90s, early aughts. And, and when I, when I graduated high school, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of just didn't want to have to deal with any of that anymore. Yeah. And so I went to state school and I had a band and I was, you know, trying to determine what I wanted to do with my life. And, uh, and I kept thinking I was going to be a rock star anyway, so it didn't matter. And, uh, in exploring that, you know, college is a great opportunity. I, I learned this stat that, uh, the average college student at the time I was going to college, uh, changed their major th- on an average of three times. Before yeah. they graduated, I, that stat may still be true, or that number may have increased. And so, you know, I'm I'm fitting into that as I'm trying to decide. Well, okay, what do I want to do? This is like me choosing a career in in a sense. And during that time, I got involved in the student ministry on my campus, like our campus ministry, I guess. And so we got involved in a small group, and I started leading the small group. And when I was asking myself that question, I found that like what I really wanted to do was study the Bible and like yeah. teach people. And I felt like my involvement in that ministry and a campus ministry was like what I wanted to continue doing. And it was, you know, seems really kind of obvious to an extent that like, those were probably the reasons I was so involved in the youth group at my home church. And that was probably the reason I was so involved in the uh, student ministry at my high school. Right. And so it seemed um, it seemed like a no-brainer that this is the kind of thing I should pursue. Also, I mean, I'm 19 years old and, you know, I'm feeling very passionate. And, and as 19-year-olds are, um, you know, want to do, they, they're they like, let's go headlong into it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it, but it worked out for me. I You know, I was able to get some scholarships to, like, afford, you know, the private school and, and et cetera, et cetera. So not to mention that once I got to Bible college and once I was doing religious classes and once I was getting involved in ministries because, you know, and, and what, and camps and things like that, after being there, never did I like second guess it. Right. And I think that was a marked difference for me and why I felt so resolute about going into ministry was that, I was struggling to decide what I wanted to do as a college student when I was at the state school and I'm, you know, doing these other things. When I went to Bible college and I started pursuing biblical education and ministry, uh, I was I was totally comfortable with my decision. Yeah, and that was so that you know that that was affirming to that decision was that I didn't have any second guessing about what was like a pretty huge change because, you know, the school I was going to was only about 45 minutes away from that where I grew up Yeah. when I was at state school. When I went to you know, Bible college, I was now several hours away from home. And so it was a, you know, much bigger move. 
but you know that was that was what helped you know, i don't know yeah just I, I don't i guess i'm running out of words to sum that up nicely but to, <laughs> to say that was my experience what about you i mean like I, what was your trajectory in terms of like choosing ministry before we guess we start talking about how we found ourselves doing the thing we chose and not having joy I yeah I I was I don't know I was kind of tricked into it no uh, kind of not really I, I will say this I will say this um, I decided to go to, the, to 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 a Bible college because I wanted to I guess give God a chance you know my my youth pastor did a very great job about telling me that I should go to Bible college for just one year oh, and yeah. he said. And I remember not wanting to do that. You know, I had worked very hard and had some, and, in school and was very successful academically and um, had some opportunities. And and I was like, well, I'm you know, I'm going to go to this college and I'm not sure how much of it is going to transfer out and all this other stuff. And he just looks me in the eye and he says, well, Rocky, what is the value of education? You're not you're not going to be sad that you did this. And so I go there, but the thing that happens is, you know, you get involved in service. And I think a good Bible college suggests that you're actively involved in serving while, right. you're, while you're working on your degree. So you get involved. I got involved in serving and I'm, you know, doing, working with middle schoolers and I'm traveling to camps and I'm speaking, I'm doing all sorts of great stuff. And my life makes sense in that context. And that, I mean, that's the only thing that I can say it was, it was fast. It was furious. It was like falling in love and, and, and recognizing that everything had led to this moment, like everything that God was doing in my life in that context, mm -hmm. it finally made sense. And I was able to, uh, to, to get a glimpse and to understand a little bit about what, I don't know, what, what, what it meant that God had a purpose and a plan for me. And, and to see that plan played out um, and to see scripture come alive um, and to be able to be part of people's lives and it matter. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it just, it just changed me. It just, it just changed me after, after that. And after understanding everything that the Lord had done for me, it was like, what choice do you have? You know, you, you can pretend like this never happened or that this isn't really happening and, and just move on. Or you can say, even though this scares me to death, this, uh, this is right. And that's what I did. Well, that is going to do it for the podcast this week. Tune in next week as we have another interesting interview that we're going to share with you. As always, you can engage with us at our website, which is ProductiveMinistry.org. We're on Twitter at Prod Ministry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. Facebook is Facebook.com slash ProductiveMinistry.org. If you want to send us an email, our email address is info at ProductiveMinistry.org. We want to invite you to like and subscribe to our podcast, which can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all the places that you would find podcasts. If you could rate us and leave a good review, that helps us quite a bit to get this podcast seen. Also, if you could share this podcast and recommend it to people, we would appreciate it. And as always, we hope you have a productive week. 